Welcome to Tim Stodds FM, a place to share new ideas, speak freely, and continuously find ways to live our best lives. And now your host, Tim Stoddart. What's up, everyone? My name is Tim Stoddart. Welcome to Tim Stodds FM. Thank you so much for joining me. Before we get started on this week's podcast, I have a quick announcement to make. I would like to invite you all to my weekly publication called the Tim Stodd's Digest. I'm on a mission to make America smart again. The Tim Stodd's Digest is a weekly publication bringing you the most important and valuable content regarding science, business, humanities, and health. Every Monday, I will personally deliver to you an in-depth email full of what I feel are the most important and the most valuable stories of the previous week. The newsletter will improve your life and your mentality, and it's all less than a Starbucks Frappuccino. You will receive empowerment. My emails will help you think differently. The digest is meant to change your perspective and show you examples of how powerful you really are and what you can truly accomplish in this life. I will give you personal access to my marketing and business toolbox. Over the years, I have written and published several ebooks and guides and case studies that I have not shared with anyone other than the people that I have worked alongside with. And I will share all of these case studies and ebooks and guides with you in my journey and my experience of building two seven-figure businesses. Then finally, you will get friendship and community. The best part of all the work I do and the best part of the digest is that you will belong to a community of people who are doing their best every day to try to be better versions of themselves. So you can reply to every email that I send out and you can speak to me directly and I will send you a personalized video answering whatever question you have or helping you in any way that I possibly can. So I ask that you join my crew. I ask that you join and become a part of our growing community and join a network of people who are following their passions and getting the most out of life. You can find out more at timstodds.com digest. You can sign up on the website, or if you choose, you can continue to receive my free daily blog posts and podcasts. None of that is going to change, but we're adding a whole nother level of membership and just the most premier, premier content and information that I can possibly provide. So my guest this week is a new friend of mine. Her name is Emily Mills. Emily was so nice and she was so kind and she was so interesting. She is an illustrator. She shared her story with me on what it was like transitioning from somebody that was involved with with graphic design and with web design and had a pretty solid, you know, nine to five career in which she did work that she enjoyed. But then she talked about 
what it was like when her real passion of of visual art and of drawing and of sketching illustrations just continued to creep up on her and continued to kind of nag her and say, hey, this is what you love to do. This is what you love to do. Why aren't you doing it? Her story was inspiring. Uh, it, it was empowering and truly, truly like one of the kindest and, and sweetest people I think I've ever met. So I learned a lot from talking to her. I know you will also learn a lot from talking to her. And please help me welcome my new friend, Emily Mills. I thought a cool way to kind of start this uh, and like introduce your work and introduce uh, what you do and, and kind of like your story was to go through this really great article that I found on your website because I love websites and I love when, when people can write. And um, there was so much in here that like I really, really resonated with. So I found this fantastic article. I don't even know when you wrote this, by the way. It said, how I went from, a cas from casual doodling to drawing professionally within a year. Mm -hmm. And I won't, I won't read the entire thing, um, but I'm kind of going to go through it because there was so many great things. So to start, on January 2015, you didn't even think that like drawing and doodling could be a career for you. Were you like a, a graphic designer? Yeah, I was a graphic designer at my cool. church. And... I had just been doing flat branding work and print work and just all kinds of different graphic design projects. I didn't even delve into webs. It was just graphic design. And I just thought I'd do that for the rest of my life. But I was also simultaneously feeling really bored with it. And yeah. like, am I going to be doing this for the next 40 years? I don't know if I can, I don't know if I have that in me. <laughs> uh, so is it web design or like Photoshop work? Is that, is that your experience? Um, just InDesign, uh, Photoshop, Illustrator, all the Adobe Creative Suite, but I didn't really do any web work. I struggle so much with Adobe anything. I'm pretty good with um, Premiere Pro, the video editing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but like, I've, I've tried, I'm just not a visual person by any means. That's why sometimes I joke, if people look at my website, it's all white. And it's just a lot of words because I'm like a, I'm a writer before uh -huh. I'm, I'm a visual person. So that's why reading through this blog, I was like so excited to have you in here and talk to you because I'm, I'm just almost envious of people that can draw because <laughs> I've always wanted to be able to do it. And I'm, I'm really, really terrible at it. Yeah. I feel like that's the number one comment I get is, Oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I could draw and sing. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's what everybody wishes they could do. Yep. Everybody wishes they could draw and everyone wishes they could sing. So, so we got, um, you know, February yeah, and there was one point in here that like really, really caught my attention. Basically, through the course of the year, you, um, what was the guy's name? Roan or something? The guy that read, that wrote Do Over. Oh, Johnny Cuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you said you had an experience with him. Oh, yeah, okay, here it is. John prompted us with questions like, what have you loved since you were a kid? What do people compliment you on? What do you think is really easy that everyone else thinks is hard? And I came up with my answer drawing what was that moment like for you it was kind of frustrating honestly because I have been drawing since I was a kid I had yeah. these cartoon strips that I would do for fun and I was a cartoonist for the high school paper and my college paper and I just thought drawing was this fun hobby not 
a professional thing. And so when drawing overlapped with these questions, which I thought would be a more professional route, it was frustrating because it's like, okay, my whole life, everyone's been saying simultaneously, you can do whatever it is you put your mind to. Oh, but not illustration because you won't get any money. So it's like, you get this encouragement of you can do whatever you put your mind to. Oh, but don't do that because it's not wise. And so it was frustrating to have that answer come back and hit me in the face because it's like, well, I thought about doing it, but then everyone told me not to. And here it is again, rearing its ugly head. So what am I supposed to do with that? I think that is so interesting because over the years, I've kind of developed like my own understandings with the the crossover between like art and I guess business, you know, Mm -hmm. like making a living, sort of speak. And I've found, and maybe this isn't like a um, um, a real enlightening type thing. Maybe everybody has come, has figured out this conclusion on their own, like way before me, you know. But Mm -hmm. when I discovered this, it was really enlightening for me, where it doesn't always have to be super direct, you know, like it doesn't always have to be so linear where like I'm getting paid as a drawer. You can, you you can find ways to be creative and find ways to like mix your art with business that, you know, it's not like you're just drawing things and you're saying, I want you to buy this. Right. You know, like there's, there's Mm -hmm. ways that you can kind of cross them over so that you can find a way to make a living and love what you're doing at the same time. And that's how I got into graphic design in the first place because it's like, I got to call or uh, the end of high school and people were saying, okay, what do you want to do with your life? And my heart was saying, do art, be an illustrator. But my head was saying, you got to earn a paycheck. Cause this was also in the recession. Um, I graduated in 2006. So right before the recession hit. And then while I was in college, the recession hit. And so everyone in college was like, you have to make sure you're earning money. You have to make sure you're going to get a job. And so I picked a major that was using art, but I could also earn a steady paycheck. I felt like my only two options were art education or graphic design. And I definitely did not want to teach kids how to do art. So graphic design it is. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's probably the case with a lot of artists. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of them think that you're either either a starving artist or you're a web designer or a graphic designer. I, I think that, I think that, Um, there's probably like a new opportunity because illustration and videos, Mm -hmm. those, um, white, whiteboard drawings, you know, have become pretty popular. And so I think there's like, um, a a new demand for kind of the illustration, but even aside from them, from that particular example, like what are ways that you've been able to create creatively take art and take illustration and, and turn it into something that you can provide for yourself for? Um, Outside of graphic design, I didn't really do anything with my creativity to earn a living. It was just graphic design was the thing. Um, However, I did use it just as a creative outlet. So um, how this all started was I drew silly faces on my fingertip and I told stories with the faces on Instagram (laughs) and it's kind of, it sounds really stupid and silly, but people remembered that because the faces were like three or four lines, but they were so emotive that people remembered them and it stuck with them. So when they thought I need someone who can draw something, they thought of me. And so 
I used drawing as a creative outlet and I used drawing within graphic design as well, like helping me draw logos before I actually executed on the computer. Okay. So you like starting with like the physical first. You like the pen and the paper. Yep. You said something there though, which I think is important for people in like a marketing stance where you said they were emotive and the drawings were very simple, but there was a story Mm -hmm. there. You know, it's always about telling a story. We're like storytelling machines. And that theme of storytelling is just constantly, constantly coming up in my work and, and in this show. Um, I, I would make an assumption and correct me if I'm wrong, that even in illustration, really what you're doing is telling stories. Absolutely. What do you, what are the kind of stories that you like to tell? Do you like to tell stories about people? Mm-hmm. Do you like to tell your own kind of story and, and translate it through like other characters that you create? Yeah, I really enjoy humor. Um, I think, so I grew up reading Calvin and Hobbes and the Far Side cartoons. Oh my God, me too. I mean, they're the best cartoons I think you can possibly grow up reading. And so yeah. I think I have a little bit of a dark humor because of the Far Side. Mm-hmm. And so I love being able to bring that dark, witty humor into an idea that's that people can read in a cartoon style, whether it's a strip or a few little panels. Um, I like being able to simplify an idea into something that is just instant. I think Calvin and I'm sorry, no, I, yeah, I thought you were done. I think Calvin and Hobbes is like top ten most brilliant literary creations ever. I agree. I mean, I I, I used to spend so much of my childhood because I was kind of the weird kid that would go to Borders Bookstore back when there was such a thing oh, yeah. and people would actually <laughs> buy books, you know. And in the very back of the uh, of the Borders was the comic section. And I would just I'd sit there. Sometimes I'd read the same Calvin and Hobbes books over and over again. And you know what? That, that kind of reminds me of something. Um, it's going to start off in a dark place, but bear with me. When the, that awful Serena Williams kind of cartoon came out recently, it, uh, I read an article about the dying art of cartoons mm-hmm. and strip cartoons and how in our history... Um, like political cartoons and and the comic strips in, mm-hmm. in newspapers, they played a real big role in our culture. Yeah. Um, politically and, and socially and also for just humor, you know, like the Peanuts strip mm-hmm. has been iconic in our culture. Right. Does that, does that ever like concern you or worry you or give you anxiety that like we're kind of losing that? I would say on, on one regard, I want change because change is always going to happen. Change is inevitable. So I can't mourn what's happening, but at the same time, it's like, how can we continue that into the future? Okay. So the comic strip might be going away because people don't read the paper and no one wants to subscribe to the New York times online or their local paper for that matter. How can you get your message in front of them? It's not necessarily that the medium has changed. It's just the method of delivery. So I'm a little sad about the nostalgia being gone, but at the same time, like yeah. there's always something new. So what do you think is the new thing? I think it's just social media because yeah. everyone is so interested in individuals rather than corporations and companies. And so like on Instagram, I follow a few companies, but almost everyone else I follow is a person. And I follow that person because I'm interested in them. Maybe they work for Gary Vaynerchuk's company, or maybe they work for some other large 
company that's doing a lot of really good work in the world, but I'm not interested in the company. I'm interested in them. And so you have that opportunity with your platform to share your message with people. You just have to find a way to connect with those people and have them find you. What about penmanship and like the dying art of penmanship? That one, that one kind of makes me sad. Yeah, that definitely makes me sad. I've met a lot of people that never learned cursive in school and I went to a Um, a school called the Classical Academy. And so if the name just doesn't give it away, we learned Latin, we did cursive, we did grammar, we did all the classical education stuff. And so when I meet people that didn't have that kind of education, it makes me sad because I feel like it's made my life that much richer. But I also have an opportunity to teach people. So yeah, maybe they feel like I don't need penmanship, I don't need cursive, but just because you don't need it doesn't mean that it's not valuable. I completely agree. And I see what you're saying where you got to look at it from two sides. It's not that like the art is dying. It's just the delivery Mm -hmm. of it is changing. And I guess change is inevitable, you Mm -hmm. know, and everybody at some point in their life is going to see things that they're sad to let go. Mm -hmm. But I don't know why the, the penmanship one in particular feels like really, really... Ah, just like, no, not yet. We can't let that go because, because the written word, especially, I mean, say what you want about the internet and social media and video and, and pictures, nothing has changed humanity like, like the written word. And it's only been, I mean, when, when were typewriters invented? I'm going to guess like the sixties maybe. (laughs) So all up until then we would write by hand and so quickly we're seeing that die. My, my grandmother took a calligraphy class for like three years. And there's a, a Scottish prayer called the, um, uh, Kelkirk grace, I think. And, uh, she practiced and she practiced and she practiced and it was so hard. And she finally wrote this little prayer out for me on a piece of paper and she framed it and you can see the little tiny imperfections on it, mm-hmm. but it's almost those imperfections that give it it's, it's uniqueness, you know, yeah. because you know that, that it was a person with a soul that that did that and so there's just it does make me sad because that's also the foundation of why i teach what i teach so everything that i teach about visual note taking drawing writing it's because it's all about learning and your brain doesn't learn as fast if you're typing something your brain doesn't learn if you just absorb it through hearing it's all when you're using multiple parts of your brain together so it does make me sad to hear people that want to take visual notes, but then they don't actually write anything. They always do a shortcut or type it in on their iPad. Um, so I do miss people writing and I think it, it might actually go away and that would make me really sad, but at the same time adapt. (laughs) I was, uh, I'm a big Chuck Palahniuk fan and I was listening to an interview him with him where he still writes all of his books by hand. Wow. And he was saying, um, I don't know how he does it. Cause I write every day. I mm-hmm. write in my blog every single day. And I, I have a notebook that I bring with me everywhere. And I do write by hand every single day. But, um, he said something that always kind of stuck with me is like, no, that's not writing. That's typing. Yep. Because when you're writing, you know, there's arrows and, and there's directions and you can circle something here and then make a little note, like save this for later, you that's know? Cool. And, uh, 
just what you said kind of made me think of that. So, okay. So let me kind of take a step back because I was just so excited to get <laughs> into kind of the art of drawing that I, I might've jumped the gun a little bit. Um, you said you were from Colorado. Yep. Originally from Colorado Springs. That's where you're born. Uh, I was actually born in the Philippines to a military family. So oh, we no moved way. around a little bit. What's that like? I don't remember it. So we moved to Colorado when I was two. Oh, uh, we, so And then we stopped like, moving after that. Yeah, it wasn't like you spent your teen years right. moving around. Okay. And then I read in that article that you spent a lot of time in Houston. Yeah, I lived outside of Houston in a little tiny town called College Station. And I lived there for about five years. So again, graduated after the recession. There were no jobs in Colorado for what I wanted with graphic design. And so I just thought, okay, I can't find what I want, where I want. Maybe I should just open up my where and just find the what. And College Station is a university town. I worked for Texas A&M as a designer for a couple years. Then I worked for my church for a few years after that. Your church in Houston? Yeah, it's in College Station. And then, so why Nashville? Um, Well, I had just come to a point professionally. I was in this tiny town with a college that I didn't even go to. I didn't fit in culturally. Um, I was unhappy. I just felt like I couldn't grow in a career in Texas and being from Colorado and being stuck in a swamp was really difficult and I wanted to get out. So I made a checklist of five things and Nashville checked all the boxes and I thought, well, okay, I just, I'll just look for a job there. And here I am. Do you like it here? It's better than Texas, but I, I think it's good for now. I haven't really felt called to move or I don't really feel like there's somewhere else I should be. So I'm just going to stay here until I feel like that happens. You're you're honestly the first person I've spoken to so far that hasn't been like, yes, I love this place. This is the best place (laughs) I've ever been. There's some struggles, uh, in Nashville. I think a lot of people are just hard. Uh, they have a difficulty sharing it because Nashville is like a sexy city. It's a place where you go to chase your dreams, but when your dreams don't actually happen or when things are difficult, people are really reticent to share that kind of information because we have social media. We have to project like, Oh, I moved to Nashville and everything's great. But what if you moved to Nashville and everything sucks? <laughs> like no one wants to hear that. <laughs> I have never caught that side of the city yet. I feel that basically as soon as I fly into Los Angeles, <laughs> but I've, I've never felt that in Nashville. So, so are you, I'm assuming you mean like the music career. People come here to follow their their music career. Yeah, I think a lot of people move here for the music and then they realize just how hard it is to break in because it's not like you can play on Broadway and get discovered in a week. Yeah, I'm sure that was probably the case in maybe the 90s, but now it is just saturated with so many people. But even entrepreneurs and tech companies are moving to Nashville at a crazy rate, but I feel like there's still failures in that and people aren't actually talking about those failures or those shortcomings or those difficulties. So you said, God, that's so interesting. I'm like really <laughs> curious to learn more about that now. And, and you said, uh, you know, you have to project yourself on, on social media that I think about that a whole lot. I actually, even though I'm in the internet marketing field, mm-hmm. I try not to spend too much time on social media right. because it's kind of like that web of the lies. Time suck for sure. Yeah, you know. Do you uh, do you see do you see that as a problem in our society and our that that concept of 
always projecting like this amazing life on social media has come up over and over and over Mm -hmm. again. And I just get this feeling that it's kind of weighing on everybody. It's like this weird weight that we all sort of carry around Mm -hmm. with us on. I need people to think that I'm great. Right. You know, do you I think there's a difference between projecting that everything is great and projecting selective content. And then it's up to the viewer to understand that, oh, this is selective content rather than my life is perfect. Mm -hmm. So I think like for my own Instagram feed, I try and project work only. I don't put a whole lot of personal stuff on there. If I see a cute dog, I don't take a picture and put it on Instagram. It's usually just illustration. But that's where you get all the likes from. No, I don't want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) So someone might look at my Instagram feed and be like, wow, she's so great at drawing and she's got all these clients all the time. But it's like, yeah, but you're only seeing the posts of when I have jobs. You're not seeing the weeks that I don't have anything to work on Mm -hmm. or I'm working on other stuff. So there's, I think there is a difference between projecting something as great and projecting selective. I think that's a really good way to look at it. Ironically, I think that's how you, I think that's how you use that word. Um, But I think that being more vulnerable is probably a better way to actually use social media as like a good marketing platform too. I think you're right. And that's honestly one of my biggest struggles because of just relationships I've had in the past and how I interact with people. I've been burned by them. And so I've got huge walls up and I don't know how to relate to people online that I don't know. So I just put the work out there until I figure out how to be vulnerable. I'm not really going to share that just yet, which I'm actually working on right now. (laughs) Yeah. However, you know what? This is perfect because this loops me kind of right back around to that article. There was something at the end of it, which I totally, totally love. And you said takeaways for you. Mm -hmm. Share your work. Even if you aren't proud of it, if you can't bring yourself to share it, at least keep it so you can go back and see how much you've grown. This is a real personal thing for me. And it's something that I feel very strongly about. The message behind what I try to do on my website is hit publish. Mm -hmm. I say that word over and over again, or that phrase over and over again, because there's something empowering about being vulnerable enough to show people your work, Mm -hmm. like your art, the thing that came from outside of you, even if you might not think it's that good, right? you know, or even if like in the back of your mind, it's not quite finished, you know, like you hit publish. And I think having the courage to do that is, is really, really empowering. Yeah, I agree. I've, I think that artists in general never, ever really think that their work is like great. Or done. Or done, yeah. <laughs> done is the biggest one for me. It's like, oh, I can keep adding to it and making it better. And then the more I add to it, the worse it gets over time. I'm like, well, now I can't share it at all because I hate it now. So it's this whole progression from, I think I like this. Maybe I'll share it. And then you're like, actually, before I share it, let me do this other stuff. And then you ruin it in the process because you're trying too hard. Instead of just sharing what you've made, you're trying to prove something. At least that's what it feels like for me sometimes. Yeah, I- Instead of sharing what you've made, you're trying to prove something. Do you, do you struggle with like putting the pen down and saying this is finished? 
I do sometimes. Um, the nature of my work is that it has to be finished and it will be imperfect because it's time-based. At the end of a talk, I'm done. Um, if I go back and rework it too much, it's kind of inauthentic. So the nature of my work is that it has to be done at some point, which is actually a really good practice for me to just say, here it is, and I'm going to get better over time. Maybe it's not perfect, but it's done and I will get better next time. Yeah. Also with kind of hit publish, the second part of that is on time Mm, because I think the deadlines for that kind of stuff really help because it's like, this is my work when it's due you know, quote, done mm-hmm. or not. That's why I try to publish a post every day because I only have so much time to think about it. Right. It's kind of like my habit in the morning. So I just wake up and I write and sometimes you look at it and you're like, oh, I don't really feel that great about it. Mm-hmm. But at least know, it was something. Yeah. You put it out there. Um, um, I just have so many questions going through my head. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. What is what is a place to start, do you think? Because much like writing, I think that people say, Oh, I'm just not good at I'm just not good at that. I'm mm-hmm. just not good at drawing. But in reality, it's a a skill right. in the same way that anything else is. Mm-hmm. How much of it do you think is like natural born talent and how much of it do you think is a practice that you can get better at? I don't know. I think it depends on the person. There's definitely people who have a talent for certain styles of art. Like my husband's really good at like graphic novel style art. I do not have that skill yet, but I'm working on it. So it's like, just because I have a talent in one area doesn't mean that I can master another right away. So people who are torn told they couldn't draw when they were in fourth grade just stuck with that lie and so they think they can't draw but they might actually be really good at drawing people or horses or something really specific but they've never tried so then if you were teaching me right and i showed you what i can do what would be like the first thing you say as like a base, mm-hmm. if you're trying to get better yeah. at, at sketching or, or drawing or whatever it I is. I think the first thing is always the mental game. So instead of... Really? Yeah, always. Because so it's it, in your mind even more than it's in like your I hands? I think so. I don't know because people have told me I could draw since I was a kid. So I don't really have to deal with that. I suck at this mental thing. But I feel like I always want to tell people you can draw and you need to start telling yourself that you can. It might not be Michelangelo, it might not look like mine, but you can draw because it, again, it brings in that skill aspect. Like maybe you don't have that natural talent, but you can learn how to do this. So after the mental part and I say, you can do this and you can learn how to do it. That's when I go back to the basics. Like on my blog, I teach an exercise about dots, lines, and shapes and everything you draw can be made with those three elements. And so I walk through a couple exercises of like, okay, let's try drawing a house with two shapes because it's all about drawing something that's recognizable more than realistic. Mm -hmm. You start with recognizable and then you level up after that. Man, it's just dots, lines, and shapes. Do you, you think you can create basically anything with dots, lines, and shapes? Oh, I know you can. (laughs) (laughs) but then what about colors right so color is sort of an add-on 
So if you think about drawing as why are you drawing something? Well, it's to communicate. Drawing is communication. So you can draw something without color and it will communicate the message without color for the most part. Like think about this, um, the comics in the paper, they were all black and white except mm -hmm. on Sundays, at least at my paper. And so it doesn't really matter if colors in there or not. And I actually really like deconstructed line art because it's Me the too. simplest, but color is really powerful too. You, it's just like, let's start with the basics and work our way up and color. I don't even start with that. Okay. I have two things and don't let me forget them. Have you seen in your, your teaching and your work where somebody has that kind of moment where they get out of their own head and they say to themselves like, okay, I can do this. And then all of a sudden you can see it in, in the reflection of their work. Yeah. I've had a couple workshops where I just teach people how to deconstruct something that they think is complicated. Like, um, one thing that a lot of people struggle with is drawing a stick person running or walking. It's like, well, the limbs are all weird and they're at different angles and I don't know which way the joint bends. But then once you teach them like, okay, the knee only goes this way. And then here's how you draw it. They're like, oh my gosh, I've never drawn a stick person that looks like they're actually walking before. And then they, because they got something that they thought was impossible, then they feel empowered to keep going. Yeah, and I think that one little lesson, right? You can apply that. It's kind of like in music when you learn a power chord. Right. You know, it's only one chord, but now all of a sudden with this one little lesson, you can play like 90% like yep. <laughs> of the songs that were Is ever written. Is it like written. G, D, and C or something? Basically, <laughs> yeah, basically. So from that, um, that was just a question that I, I, I needed to remind myself to ask you, but you had talked about liking to start with like, recognizable and with kind of stick figures and, and basic shapes. Mm -hmm. And I was just having this exact conversation the other day and it was kind of a funny joke about how I, when I look at art, I really, really prefer to look at things where like I can recognize it and say like, that's a house and right. that's a good house as mm -hmm. opposed to some kind of abstract modern who knows what that is who knows what it is that's supposed to like represent your emotions and your feelings and stuff yeah. because i don't want to get too into this because i'm opinionated but one of them <laughs> is like is just so um subjective that you can basically argue any different way of it and the other mm -hmm. one is objective to where it's like no that's definitely a house and mm -hmm. like that's what a house looks like. What is your viewpoint on that? I'm pretty linear on that. Um, yeah. And I, I am a creative person, but I'm very analytical as well. And so I'm, I might be a little too black and white for a lot of artists, but I really prefer art that's straightforward. I really prefer recognizable things. And like, if you think about the images and the illustrations that people share regularly, it's memes, it's tattoos, and those are very recognizable. They're very concrete. Oh, I know exactly what that is. You don't see the abstract stuff shared as much. So what you, what you mean by that with shared as much as that you think other people... Well, if you go back to the what I think is all drawing is communication, why would you not communicate the most efficient, effective method possible? Hmm. You can be ethereal and, oh, here's a swirl of color that represents sadness, but is everyone going to get it? No. Um, are they going to share it? Probably not. But if you share something that's like a sad face, that's really memorable. Maybe they will share it and they're all going to understand it. I really love that. I love how when you break it down 
when you break art, drawing, painting, whatever, down to its most simplistic form is communication. Mm -hmm. And the most effective way to communicate is in like a straightforward way. Right. And you think that that's why people are more inclined to share that kind of work or or talk about that kind of work because it's it's easier too. um, people don't necessarily have the, either the emotional intelligence or the personal interest to talk about feelings and depth and exploration and debate. Not everyone likes to do that. Oh my God. This reminds me of, uh, I I lived in South Florida for a long time and there's this big art festival every year in Miami Mm -hmm. called in, in Wynwood. And there was this, fucking ridiculous art display that was a like a blue circle and a orange square and a yellow triangle (laughs) and that was it and it covered the entire wall and then there was more on the wall explaining what the artist was trying to do to represent like the juxtaposition between the colors and the shapes and the simplicities behind it i remember looking over at my best friend and she'd be like can you fucking believe that this is at like the Wynwood Art Fest because there was <laughs> there was nothing to it. That I just don't get it. Yeah, I don't either, but it's also not a slight. Like I believe that if you are a creative person and you want to create art that might be a little more modern or up to different kinds of interpretation, that's fine. It's just not my style, and so I leave it to the experts. Yeah, good for you. That's that's nice that you let everybody have their fun. <laughs> Go have your fun in your corner and... Go you, but I'm just going to be over here in my straightforward linear art. <laughs> so so let's get a little bit more into your actual business because ultimately with this podcast, I have three goals, really. I like to learn about people. Mm-hmm. I like to learn about different kinds of work, and then I like to try to help the people that listen gain experience from people on here with mm-hmm. to apply into their own business, right? So we were talking earlier that you have to rebuild your website. What are the actual services or products that you provide for your clients and your customers? Sure. So I think I'm sort of a mixing a big pot of different services right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do freelance graphic design work and that's sort of phasing out because I'm focusing on illustration. I have been for the past couple of years. So I still do graphic design. So creating logos, um, Actually, I do a couple websites here and there now, now, but, um, that's on its way out. And then I also do illustration work. So that could be books. It could be article images. It could be editorial. It could be, Hey, I'm having a meeting. Can you just draw some stuff on the whiteboard before I get there? It's really open to interpretation. Illustration that I do takes a lot of different forms. And then on the other side, I'm a contractor with a company called The Sketch Effect, and we do live events. So I'll go to a conference and I will live sketch the talk in real time. And it's sort of like a visual note-taking takeaway for all the attendees. And then outside of that, I also teach workshops on how to do what I do, how to be a sketch note-taker, how to do graphic recording, how to take visual notes, and just be a better illustrator. Which one's your favorite? I really enjoy the teaching part, but I struggle because I feel like I'm not qualified enough to do that. Um, I feel like I need more experience to justify teaching other people. But at the same time, I follow the philosophy of as long as you know a little bit more than somebody else, what you have to say is valuable. So 
maybe I can't teach a master who's been painting his whole life anything, but I can teach someone who says, I don't know how to draw something. And I can start there. I wish I was able to kind of do that. There's been a million times where people have said, like, you should just do one-on-one kind of coaching because for search engine optimization, especially Mm -hmm. for SEO on websites, like, I really, really know how to do that. And there's still a side of me that thinks, like, but who would really want to pay me to teach them to do it, you (laughs) know? (laughs) So, So there's... I I can relate with what you say as to where am I really qualified? You know, like I don't, who's to say that I'm qualified? There's no like SEO degrees. Right. It's kind of still almost like a, um, uh, a a, a trial and error type skill that you have to sort of learn by yourself. Do you ever get nervous when you do those live workshops? I used to, um, but I've done enough that I don't really get nervous anymore. I just get excited about those light bulb moments that we talked about. Like, I hope that I can hope, help someone go from, I can't do this to, oh, I guess I can. Like, that's all I'm looking for. If I can help them make that mental shift, great. Does that ever happen at like a live event? At the events, no. At the workshops, yes, for sure. Okay, hold on. So I'm a little bit confused. So you do workshops where you're basically teaching people and for like a live event, would somebody who maybe is putting on the event kind of hire you almost right. as like a, a an, like entertainment? Absolutely. So that's what I would categorize it as. So we are entertainment. Half the time I'm on the stage with the speaker drawing out what they're saying in real time. And sometimes I'm in the back of the room. So when everyone leaves the session, they see a visual note of everything that they just heard. Um, so there is a wow factor with it. So it's definitely entertainment. I would, I would love to see that. I think that probably gets a really great response. Yep. Yeah, I bet it does. And then there was, so many things when I was reading your website that I wanted to make sure I touched on. It seems like you're a real advocate for visual note-taking. Yes. I don't even know what that is. Can you just explain that to me? Yeah, it's kind of hard to share in a podcast because it's so much easier to show rather than tell. But Mm -hmm. um, in a nutshell, visual notes are a record of something that happened that is a pairing of images and text. And so the whole point of visual notes is to engage your brain more than it would if you were just hearing it or reading it. Um, I don't know about you, but if I see a wall of text, I don't want to read it. Um, If I just hear the same voice droning on and on, I get bored I tune it out but if you see something that's words and text it's a lot more engaging it's interesting you want to keep reading it's sort of like comics no one stops after the first panel they want to keep reading the panel so visual notes is sort of like creating a comic of content do you are you a fan of Austin Kleon yeah at all I like his stuff a lot yeah I uh I read his blog kind of periodically I I like his I like his visual stuff personally more than his writing it's not to say he's a bad writer it's just um <laughs> um I, I think what you're explaining with visual notes is kind of what he does and with like little doodles that help you remember things right. throughout the day and i've tried to do that and really i get stuck in the same exact spot where i wouldn't even know where to start if i'm trying to make a visual note of like a conversation i had i, mm-hmm. I wouldn't even know how to draw a face right 
So then how, 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 what has to come first then? Do you think that that's like a mind block for me where I'm just in my own way? Or do you think I would need to actually learn like the basics of quote doodling before I would do that? I think it could be a combination of a couple things. Um, I think one, it could be a mental block. So you think that there's this formula that you have to follow when it's really just learning the, for lack of a better term, the doodles that maybe match with the content that's already being spoken. So in my workshops, I always start out with why we're doing this, why it's important, why it helps you learn. Because if you don't understand the why of what you're doing, then it's just some cool thing and it's, it doesn't really make an impact. So I start with the why, and then I always start with the basics like dots, lines, and shapes, and then build up from there. Because I feel like if you if you start with the end result, I want my notes to look like this, it's overwhelming and you're not really sure how to get there. But if you start small and incrementally, then you can actually work your way up. So another thing that I think might help you is something called a visual library. And this is a collection of images that you know how to draw. And that could be like a microphone or a light bulb or... Um, if you've ever heard of bullet journaling, they do these icons where it's like, here's a task and this is the icon I use for all of my tasks. And here's a checkbox that I use when I have something that I need to get done. And here's a calendar icon because I have a meeting. And so it's pairing images with words and pairing those images that you're instantly recognizable. They're easy to draw. And that way you can start pairing those together as like one idea. So what I would want to do I, I have kind of a, I guess an inventory is the way to say it that I do every night. So at the end of the day, I like to just kind of take a page and I write, I guess you would call it journaling, but it's also more so like Mm self-reflection. You know, I like to think of what could I have done better? What did I actually do well so that I don't like beat the shit out of myself all the time? (laughs) Yeah. Um, some notes about like what I'm grateful for. And, you know, maybe ways that I I can help. And I would like to, in that page and in the story of my day, be able to scroll back through Mm -hmm. the notebook, like when they're done. I like going back and and just checking up on old entries and be like, oh, I remember that day. And being able to actually have some kind of an image Mm -hmm. to go alongside the words Mm -hmm. to paint a picture right in my mind you could also start with the picture instead of the words so instead of saying i feel frustrated that i can't overcome this barrier maybe you just draw a fence and then you draw your stick figure where you are in the process of overcoming the barrier are you on one side and you haven't even hit the wall yet are you trying to climb up the wall are you on the top of the wall like maybe you think you've overcome it but you're not quite over the hill yet like you can use the image as the journaling method too Mm mm-hmm When's your next workshop? I don't have one on the schedule yet. Oh, we got to get one. (laughs) I know. I got married this year and I just threw a lot of workshops out the window because there was a lot on my plate. Something had to give. (laughs) You were talking before uh, when we came in here about your wedding. It seemed like you guys were really excited about it. Yeah, it was awesome. It was really small. We probably had about 60 or 70 people there. And my husband and I are both from Colorado, but we met here in Nashville. So we got married back in Colorado and it snowed on our wedding day. It was great. (laughs) <laughs> very Colorado wedding. Very <laughs> snow. I uh I would I would personally really, really love to go to one of your workshops. Yeah. And I know a lot of people who even just from talking to you, 
it's obvious to me that this kind of skill of being able to communicate through pictures is more valuable than just having a skill of being able to communicate through pictures. Right. It opens, it's got to open up like different aspects of your mind. Absolutely. So I have a couple different methods of teaching. So I've taught a workshop up in Kentucky to high school students that are entering college. Mm -hmm. And for that workshop, I just called it visual communication and sketch note, visual note taking was a part of it, but I sort of expanded the definition to, okay, you're entering college. Let's just think about all the ways you can communicate visually. Oh, and here's a small part of how you can do that because visual communication is so important in our culture where no one wants to read. No one wants to listen. You've got three seconds to get someone's attention. Let's think about how we can translate everything visually. Yeah. But you... then there's also businesses too. So businesses aren't interested in having a cool journal. So I'm going to cut that part out for businesses. But then I can add in, all right, how are you connecting with your audience visually in your specific business? Well, you just said a, a, a real thing that I struggle with, with my blog and my website is that Really, I don't even like putting stock images on my blogs right. just because it's it's just not me. I just mm -hmm. like words, you know, but without that, it, it it won't get the same amount of attention just because our culture this day is so is so visual. Sure. So I would even if I could take I, I, I dream of doing this sometimes and I I want to be able to take a class for this exact reason because if i could personalize so that's me it's not right. a stock image that i right. found somewhere like it's 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 another aspect of me and i could personalize a little drawing that would take me i don't know two minutes three mm -hmm. minutes or something like that that could give like a breakdown of the story of what my blog post is and have that as the featured image, I think that would be so cool. Right, because people follow you because they're interested yes. in you. They're not concerned about if your art is any good. They're going to love it because it's yours. Do you really think that's true, though? I think so. I mean, if I follow a blogger or a vlogger and I see them making an honest effort to create something for me, I think it's really cool. And I'm not following someone for their skills. I'm following them because I'm interested in them and because they're providing value. It's just a different method of communication. I guess maybe, I guess maybe I need to give. Yeah, try it. I could yeah. be wrong. <laughs> no, but I, I think, I think what you just said there is, uh, is pretty telling where I might be overcritical of myself, you mm -hmm. know, where I think this sucks. <laughs> this right. drawing is like, it's fucking terrible. Yeah. Why would anybody want this when again, where the exercises of, of learning to draw are probably even more valuable than knowing the skill of drawing where right. you're, it's just another way of an extension of yourself, which is really what people are going to want to see. Right. And it all goes back to like with me personally, when I started drawing silly faces on my fingertip and posting it on Instagram, people weren't following my Instagram because I was good at drawing and I posted drawing stuff. They were following me because they were my friend. And then they thought that in particular was really cool. And you think... That's how it all started for you? It is how it all started because I had a friend say, hey, I saw your faces on Instagram. Can you come draw this video for me? 
And I was wow. like, I don't know how you got from there to there, but yes, I can do that. And then you just went with it. I just went with it. It's, I think the cool thing about art is you never know what kind of impact it's going to have on somebody. It could mm. be like, oh, that's cool. And then they're done. But it could also mean, wow, this person might be able to help me in a way that I didn't even think about until just now. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I am. I'm going to do this. And oh my goodness, I'm nervous even just thinking about it. I just got anxiety. It's probably a good thing. Yeah. I'm going to personally draw the featured image of all my blog posts for, I'll do a week. I'll do it now to next Sunday. And then I will, I don't know. You should ask your people when it's all done. Hey, what did you think of my little drawings? what do you think of my images? <laughs> but Emily, I have <laughs> no clue where to start. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't even know. I don't even know how to do a stick figure. Honestly, I, I can't. Sometimes if I do a stick figure and then I try to add little shoes on it, I don't know how to do that. It looks, <laughs> it looks so out of proportion. Well, we'll just get done and I'll step over to your whiteboard and I'll teach you how to draw different stick figures. That would be really cool. <laughs> okay. You're a really interesting person. Thanks. And uh, <laughs> I'm like very excited to follow along with what you're going to do in the future for a few reasons too, not just as like a fan, but as somebody that appreciates the, like I said before, the vulnerability of like taking something that you make and putting it out there. Mm -hmm. Most people don't do that. And I really mean it. Like everybody has some kind of thing that they would love to share with the world, even if it's not necessarily artistic, you know, maybe it's like um, when I say artistic, I mean visually artistic, you sure. know, like some people write poems in a notebook that nobody will ever, ever see. Mm -hmm. And there's, I, I really think that's sad. I do too. You know? And so meeting you and meeting somebody that took a leap, you know, had like a quote career with something that like they kind of enjoyed, but said to themselves, like, this isn't really what my heart is telling me to do. And then went with it and you know, I don't, you know, you might not be like a fucking billionaire yet, but <laughs> you're, you're making your way, you know? Yeah. And I feel like I'd rather earn less money and do something that I'm passionate about for sure. I would much rather do that than stay in a job that wasn't empowering me and growing me as much as illustration has been. I don't think there's anything that's like soul crushing as much as going to work every day at a job that you really hate. Yep. Yeah, that is really that is that. the worst. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the worst. There's only ever been really one job because I've I've honestly never really had real jobs. But there was a point in my life when I just moved to Florida, I was in a real tight spot um, where I had a job like that, and I just remember riding my bike to this place every day and just cringing to yeah. think about it. And you have to give yourself a pep talk and talk yourself into staying. And every morning you're like, maybe I'll use a sick day. No, I got to go to work. I got to go They're going to know. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to discover that I am trying to get my way out of this. I want to thank you again um, for for coming here. I, I think I think if you and I keep talking, we'll find even more and more ways that like we're we're similar to each other. And I'm really excited to show my drawings on. Oh my gosh, you even said my drawings. That felt weird um, <laughs> on my blog post. But good. before we sign off, 
uh, please tell everybody where they can find more about you, where they can follow you, if they can, where they can hire you or potentially work with you. Yeah. If anyone wants to follow me, probably the best place is Instagram. Emily underscore a underscore mills is Mm -hmm. my handle. And then my website for, if you want to hire me for illustration is emilyamills.com. And if you're interested in learning how to do visual note taking, it's sketchnoteacademy.com. Oh, and I saw on your website, didn't you make a book? I did. I have a book coming out in January. That is so cool. It's really exciting and scary. (laughs) I know. I I will link all of that into the uh, show notes of the website as well. So I'll make sure everybody can get easy access to it. Uh, To everybody listening, thank you so much for listening. Do me a favor. Hit subscribe. Leave me a rating. It's the best thing you can do to support the show. Emily, thank you so much for the conversation. I really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, thanks so much, Tim. Talk to you guys next week. Hey guys, it's me. It's Tim. One last time before we wrap up, just wanted to say thank you for tuning into the podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes. Please leave me an honest rating. Please follow me on Spotify. It's the best thing you can do to support the show. If you want to find out more, go to timstods.com. Feel free to fill out the contact form to reach out to me personally. I always respond. I appreciate you guys so much. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.